Uh, just this week, someone told me of an old lady hobbling into church on Easter Sunday. Uh, she needed two sticks to help her to walk. As she was walking into the building, just walking in was a huge effort, a, a great discomfort for her. And as she was walking into the service, just a few minutes before the service was about to begin, the vicar saw her and called over to her, Dorothy, are you okay? Okay, she said, as she lifted up her walking sticks. Okay? I'm more than okay. The tomb is empty. That's what we're celebrating this morning, an empty tomb. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, bodily, actually, physically, risen from the dead. It is such a wonderful truth that when we get it and understand it and believe it and trust it and internalise it, it makes all the difference in the world. See, with the knowledge of the resurrection of Christ in our lives, whatever's happening to us, life is more than okay. The resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference in the world as we suffer and struggle through life as dear Dorothy did. The resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference in the world when we come face to face with death as we all will. It makes a difference when we face all the injustices of this life and it makes a difference as we consider the big questions of life. What is life all about? Why am I here? What does happen when I die? The empty tomb, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus makes all the difference in the world and we all need to know it. Here's the first reason on the sheet why we need to know it. It's personally necessary. Now that came home to me with fresh bite on Wednesday this week. While I was preparing this sermon, thinking about this sermon, I heard the news, as I guess you all did as well, of the coach crash in Lanarkshire, of the death of 17-year-old Natasha Payton. As they boarded that coach in the early hours of Wednesday morning for a day trip to Alton Towers, do you think that Natasha, for one moment, do you think that she thought that a few hours' time she would be face to face with the living God? I don't suppose she did. Death can come so unexpectedly and while we don't like to talk about it, we all need to be ready for it. We need to know the truth of the empty tomb because when it comes, death robs us of everything. And Kjothavong, Britain's third-ranked tennis player, lost a, lost a match in, in a tournament in Miami two weeks ago. That's not particularly news, a British tennis player losing a match. Um, but I read the report of the match on the BBC website uh, this last uh, couple of weeks ago. And the 26-year-old Londoner, this says, the 26-year-old Londoner admitted that her mind had not been on the match following the death of her grandmother on Tuesday. Tennis just didn't seem that important, she said. That's it, isn't it? Faced with death, nothing seems that important. See, Anne Kjothavang is not a uh, someone who plays tennis recreationally. This is her livelihood. This is what she spends most of her time doing. This is what she's devoted her life to. This is her ambition. Tennis is what she lives and breathes. But she's right on the money, isn't she? When death visits our career our ambitions, the things that make us tick. Everything, everything gets put under the microscope and nothing really matters anymore. The day before her 40th birthday, a friend of ours called to tell us that she'd been diagnosed with breast cancer. 39 years old with three children under 11. 
as our friend told us the news, all the things that I'd been fretting about, all the little things that seemed so important five, just five minutes before, all of them were put into perspective. They didn't seem important at all anymore. To paraphrase Samuel Johnson, the cancer word pronounced over you under any circumstances concentrates the mind wonderfully. That was a shock to get that news from our friend. But at that very moment, I was so thankful that our friend Janine is a follower of Jesus. I was so thankful that I'm a follower of Jesus, that my wife is a follower of Jesus, because awful as that news is, and it really is, but awful as it is to know and understand and to trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as our friend Janine does, makes all the difference in the world. To be certain, absolutely certain, of life beyond the grave is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It means that ultimately everything's okay. It means that ultimately everything's more than okay. And because we're all going to face death, the death of loved ones, and one day our own death, I want to ask you on this glorious Easter morning, are you sure? Are you absolutely certain about life after death through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? See, when I ask people that question, they often reply to me, well, I hope so. Now, please, we are talking about life after death. We are talking about eternity. We're talking about the most important issue in our whole lives. And so, I hope so really isn't good enough, is it? The Christian message on Easter Sunday is about knowing so. It's about a cast-iron guarantee of life beyond the grave. Isn't that wonderful? And it is personally necessary to know and trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because whether we're a 17-year-old schoolgirl, a 26-year-old tennis player, a 39-year-old mum, or someone who's had a relatively long life, whoever we are, we're all going to face death. It's personally necessary. Uh, Secondly, on the handout, it's divinely assured. Verses 17 and 18 from John chapter 10. I'll read them again for us. Verse 17, the words of the Lord Jesus. John 10, page 1076. Verse 17, right at the bottom there. Jesus said, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. See, here is the Easter weekend. Here is Good Friday and Easter Sunday in two verses. Verse 17, Jesus says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. Isn't that the most astonishing thing to say? Did you notice it when it was being read? No one else in the history of the world can say it. Well, lots of people can say it. No one else in the history of the world can say it and then carry it out. For sure, lots of people have laid down their lives, some because they feel that life has nothing left for them. Others have laid down their life by dying for queen and country, as we witness all too often right now, as brave soldiers are received back to Britain through the streets of Wooden Bassett. People do lay down their lives, but no one except Jesus can say, verse 17, I lay down my life only to take it up again. And no one except Jesus can say, verse 18, no one takes my life from me. So you and I could have our our life taken from us today. As we make our way home, someone could take our life, the Lord could take our life 
But no one took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down willingly and in his own time. Here's the thing. Had he not wanted to die, Jesus need never have died. Have you ever thought of that? Who can say these words? Who can make these claims? Look at verse 18. I have authority to lay down my life and authority to take it up again. Have you ever seen a dead body? I have and I guess many of you have too. A dead dead person can't raise themselves. But that is Jesus' claim. He claims to have authority over death. He claims to have authority over his own death. Do you understand what these words are? These are the words of one claiming to be God. Oh, the crowds who heard these words knew that because a little later in chapter 10 they took up stones to stone him and when Jesus was asked why, uh, Jesus asked them why they were going to stone him, they replied in verse 33, we're stoning you because you, a mere man, claim to be God. That is what we celebrate this Easter time. Jesus, the man who was God, laying down his life, verse 15, laying down his life for his sheep. I remember as a cocky teenager asking my granddad, Granddad, why do we call Good Friday good? What's good about a good man dying? I thought I was so clever. I thought that would catch my granddad out. I thought no one has ever thought of that question before. But my granddad wasn't surprised by it at all and he explained it carefully. Good Friday's good because Jesus laid down his life for us, he said. We don't live for God. We push him to one side and that is a terrible thing to do. But the Son of God came down to earth to live the life that we could never live, the perfect life before the Father. And he loves his people so much he laid down his life on the cross for you and me. He died to bring us forgiveness. That's why Good Friday's good. And verse 17 is why Easter Sunday is so good. He laid down his life only to take it up again. The resurrection, the empty tomb, it is the guarantee that Jesus' death can bring forgiveness. It is the sign that he can give us life beyond the grave with him. It is the sign that he is God. So important that we know this because it's personally necessary because we're all going to face death. It's divinely assured because Jesus not only died for us but he rose again. And thirdly, it's historically verifiable or or intellectually satisfiable. You'll see that in verses 19 and 20. You see, as Jesus spoke about rising from the dead, look how the crowd responded. Verse 19. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? He's raving mad. He's bonkers. Some thought that back then. Some think it now. Jesus is raving mad. The vicar's raving mad. He's talking to us about people being raised from the dead. People don't come back from the dead, do they? Some of you know that all too well and all too personally and painfully right now. I'll never forget the funeral of a friend of mine. I was, I was leading the service. It was the funeral of a Chinese friend. And uh, as was their custom during the funeral, the casket was left open. And towards the end of the service, the congregation were invited to file past the open coffin to pay their last respects. Of course, the first one to walk past the coffin was his wife, also a friend of mine. 
She leant over her husband's body and overcome with grief, she begged her husband to get up out of the coffin. She was crushed by the agony of death of her husband. She was overwhelmed by that finality of death. And there'll be people here, I know there are people here right now who feel that all too well. It'll be raw for you. Some of you have felt that since last Easter a loved one has died. In these last few days someone has died. And some of you will feel it all too painfully before next Easter Sunday comes. Well, here is this dear lady at her husband's funeral. She felt that crushing pain and she begged her husband to get up out of the coffin. But you're not surprised for me to tell you he didn't. He did. Of course he didn't. Dead people don't come back to life. And to suggest that they do, you must be raving mad. That's what people of Jesus' day said in verse 20. They weren't expecting a resurrection from the dead. That is very, very important to underline in your mind. They were not expecting a resurrection from the dead. And let me tell you why that's so important. Because it is suggested by some that in the first century, without all our scientific knowledge, people were more open to the supernatural. It is suggested by some that back then it would have been easy to fall prey to the reports of Jesus risen from the dead because people believed resurrection from the dead were possible. No, they didn't. Verse 19, they thought Jesus was off his head to suggest that he was raised from the dead. They thought he was uh, off his, or out of his mind. See, C.S. Lewis described the idea that back then people were more more likely to believe in the resurrection. He describes that thinking as as chronological snobbery. And let me say to you, to think that way is intellectually indefensible. It is a, a fundamental misunderstanding of first century Greek and Jewish culture. In Greco-Roman thinking, the soul or the spirit was good. The bit inside you, that, the real you as they would say, that was the good bit. While the physical, the material, the body, the, the, the material world was weak, corrupt and defiling. And so for the Greeks, the Romans who were around in Jesus' day, for them, bodily resurrection was not only impossible, it was even totally undesirable. No soul that was now finally free from their body would ever want it back again. They weren't looking for a bodily resurrection. They didn't even want one. The report of Jesus' resurrection would have been equally unthinkable to the Jews as well. See, unlike the Greeks, the Jews saw the material world, the body, things, the stuff around us, they saw that as good because God had created it. So death wouldn't have been seen as a liberation from the body like the Greeks. But while they believed in a future bodily resurrection... They believed it would happen when the whole world was renewed. And so to think of an individual being resurrected in the middle of history, while the rest of the world continued to be burdened by sickness and decay and death, inconceivable way of thinking for a Jewish person. So the suggestion that back then people were far more likely to accept news of a resurrection is intellectually naive. It is, in the words of Lewis, chronological snobbery. It's actually historically indefensible. The people of Jesus' day were not expecting a resurrection of one individual any more than we are today. That is clear, isn't it, in verse 20. As Jesus spoke of being able to rise from the dead, they said he's raving mad. He's off his rocker. And he would have been raving mad and so would we for believing him had it never happened. 
Christianity stands or falls on the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today is a very important day for Christians. For those of you who are not certain about the resurrection, let me encourage you to look into it. There is so much evidence for the resurrection. Look into it and then let me say this to you. It's not enough simply to say it didn't happen. If you believe it didn't happen, you need to come up with a historically feasible alternate explanation for Jesus' resurrection. I wonder if you'll be intellectually rigorous with yourself about these things. Let me direct you to a couple of books that uh, Andrew's already made reference to. There's a table of books helpfully put out for us uh, over the way there. Let me uh, direct you to a couple of them. Uh, to help you to look into these things a bit more. There's this one, Who Moved the Stone, written by Frank Morrison. Uh, Frank Morrison was a lawyer. Um, He set out looking at the documents, the historical documents of the New Testament that he had before him, to disprove the resurrection. And uh, the opening chapter, chapter 1, is called The Book That Refused to Be Written. Because as a lawyer, looking at the facts, he ended up becoming convinced that Jesus did rise from the dead. That would be a great book to read. It's not an easy book to read. It would be a great book to read if you're not sure about these things yet. An easier book to read uh, with um, just one chapter on the resurrection is a book called If You Could Ask God One Question. And uh, one of the authors is called Paul Williams, but don't let that put you off um, if you want to look into these things. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he is either raving mad as they thought here in this passage or he is a bare-faced liar because he said he would rise from the dead. He's either mad or bad. And so if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, please ignore him in the same way that you would ignore any mad or bad person. Don't listen to his words. And don't say he was a good moral teacher. See, is he mad, is he bad, or is he God? That's the question. And that was a question that C.S. Lewis asked uh, some years ago. And... uh, On the back of the handout, which we're not going to go through now, uh, there is a little uh, graph, a little sort of uh, line that you can follow, logical uh, line that you can follow. Jesus claimed to be God. So where does that leave us? And C.S. Lewis's um, conclusion is there on the back of uh, the handout. Second quote from the bottom. Listen to what Lewis says. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. Well, was he mad? Was he bad? Or is he God? If Jesus did rise from the dead, then his claims are true. He does have authority over life. He is none other than God himself. And as the author and preacher Tim Keller writes at the bottom of the uh, handout on the first page, he writes this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. The evidence for the resurrection is compelling and overwhelming. And it is personally necessary for us to come to know it and trust in it and believe it and internalise it because death comes to us all. 
And believe me, knowing the difference, knowing the truth of the resurrection makes all the difference in the world. It means being able to face death with confidence. A Christian minister I know has been battling with cancer. His name is Mark Ashton. Uh, There was an interview with him that's been recorded in uh, this newspaper uh, this month. He recalls the moment when the oncologist estimated that he had just nine months to live. And he said to the surgeon, what you've just told me for the Christian believer is not bad news, but good. It is not the end, but the beginning. And then he says, and I saw an imaginary speech bubble appear above his head saying, this man is in total denial. Mark Ashton died yesterday. When he said those words, what do you think? Do you think he was in denial about his death? Are we in denial in view of all that's been said today? Or is it true? Did Jesus rise from the dead? See, the empty tomb makes all the difference in the world. In his article, Mark Ashton speaks of how wonderful it will be when he'll be with Jesus in eternity. He's there now. Uh, But this is uh, what he wrote just, or what was written in an interview with him just a few weeks ago. I can see the end of life. It looms over the horizon and I'm encouraged to think it will not be long before I'm there. That's the difference that the resurrection makes. Facing death, not just with courage, but with confidence. That is not the end. But that what is to come is better and more glorious and what you and I were made for. Isn't that something? Well, in just a moment, Andrew is going to lead us in our prayers. Before we do uh, bow our head in prayer, let me say to you, if you're here today and you're thinking, I want to know about these things, then would you take us up on this invitation to give you uh, this booklet and this DVD that Andrew mentioned. He'll be on one door, I'll be on the other. We'll have them in our hands. Just take them from us. Uh, And this will be an opportunity for you to look into uh, the fact of the resurrection and the difference that Jesus, risen from the dead, makes for us today. Now let's leave just a moment of silence uh, as we reflect on all that we've heard and then in just a moment Andrew will continue our service by leading us in prayer.